0: This is Grain IQ, I'm Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. So far in this podcast, we've learned about the history of grain trading, explored domestic and international markets, and discussed the role of the Chicago Board of Trade. If you missed episodes one through six, we invite you to start there. Now today on Grain IQ, what is seasonality? How does it impact your marketing plan? Jeff Peterson is president of Heartland Farm Partners. He joins us for today's conversation. He is also an assistant professor of practice in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Jeff, today's topic is the seasonality of the markets. And again, it's another important concept to understand as it relates to our grain marketing plan, because things can happen through the year, right? Uh, Futures price, cash price, basis, seasonality, another important component of the overall plan.
1: Yeah, it really is. And if you think about it, you know, every year is definitely different in regard to what you have for price movement. But what we do know, just because of the normal cycles in which crops grow and how weather works, we know there are going to be certain patterns that are going to hold true to a certain degree. There can be variations, but there are certain patterns that will hold true on the future side, on, on the carry side, that difference between those individual futures months that will carry from one year to the next.
0: Today we're talking about the seasonality of the futures market at the Chicago Board of Trade.
1: That's what we kind of take a look at there, and that's what we're focused on for this segment, is the futures price. That's where all the buyers and sellers all across the world are coming together to come up with what the fair value is for the contracts that are closest to us. But they're also trying to come up also with what the fair value is for you know, bushels that may not come to market for a year or two or three down the road. So, yes, exactly. When we're talking about the future side, it's it's happening at the Chicago Board of Trade, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. All right. Now,
0: you dropped another term in there, and that is carry. So define what is
1: carry when it relates to the futures? Yeah, that's a great question, because here's one of the things that usually happens, and let's kind of walk through this, is that carry really gets used different ways okay so let's talk about the ways it is and define it when we're talking about carry really what we're talking about is is the futures spread and when we're talking about futures spread we're talking about the difference between the individual futures months so for instance on corn there's december futures there's march futures there's may futures, July futures, and September futures. So when we talk about that carry or that future spread, an example would be we'd look at what the price is for March futures. We'd subtract what the price is for December futures. And then ultimately that difference would be the amount of future spread. And if that's a positive number, meaning the deferred month is higher than what the nearby, we'd say that the market has carry in it, meaning that the price that's further out, that further futures price is higher than the nearby. However, Chad, we also can have a situation where that that deferred month, that one that's out further than where our nearby one is, is actually lower than where the current futures price is. In that particular case, we say that a market has a negative futures spread. In that case, it would be called an inverted market.
0: And and you can look at carry in a couple of different ways. Let's just, uh, for today's purposes, use the new crop month uh, for November soybeans. You can look at that price relative to January. You can look at that price relative to May to July or next September.
1: Those are all individual carry numbers, right? Yes, that's exactly right. And the thing that we always want to make sure we all focus on is that there may or may not be carry in the market a positive or negative difference in the futures price. And that could be different than what we see on the cash price. So we don't want to confuse anybody. What we're focused on here and talking about is really just what the differences is on the futures prices.
0: All right. We started this segment talking uh, and saying that there is a seasonality to both the futures and the carry in the market. So first of all, what is a seasonal price pattern for the futures market?
1: Yeah, so let's go back and look at, you know, the the seasonal price pattern. When we look at that, really the reason that we even have a seasonal pattern is because what we have, and we'll take, for instance, on corn, we've got a crop that's planted roughly the same time in the U.S. every time of the year, right, from year to year. We also have different weather patterns that happen from year to year and different cycles of when rain happens. So that seasonality is created because of the way that the market looks at Ultimately, what stage of the crop development are we in? What's the weather doing? So typically, what we would end up finding is that the market usually will pay you the most when it knows the least about what's going on. So what that means is that early in the year, in that March through June timeframe, that's usually where we'll see a pattern where ultimately we have some higher futures prices. And and if all things are, are going as it normally does and, and the crop grows fine, ultimately what happens then is the corn market will roll over. And then by the time we get down to harvest, everybody's going, hey, we have a big crop. And then ultimately you see lower prices then. And then as we go into the next year, we just repeat that cycle again. And that would be an example of a seasonality in, for instance, the corn market.
0: I've heard you say before that it is the future's job to predict or at least set a value for what is out front, right? It's always looking forward. So as you get closer and closer to harvest, we know more and more about the crop. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a big crop or a record crop that would trigger
1: that rollover. It's just the fact that the the market has knowledge, right? Yeah, exactly. The market has knowledge. It knows more about what the size is going to be. And ultimately, it the crop might not have size changed at all from where you would have been early in the year. It's just early in the year, the crop didn't know. So ultimately, as a result, it built in premium. But once the crop and the market did know, then ultimately it took that premium out.
0: So uh, you said, too, that there's a seasonality in the carry in the future. So are there times of year when uh, the difference in those numbers between contracts is greater or less
1: than in other times of the year? Yeah, there sure is. And let's start off with the time when you have the greatest number. So let's just define what greatest means. That means the most positive difference from your nearby futures contract to some deferred one, right? And normally what it would be is that where you'd find the biggest carry or the biggest futures difference is when you'd have the most supply coming to the market. So let me give you an example. If we come into harvest time and ultimately there's a lot of bushels and there's a big crop and it's wanting to come to town, then what it's the market's job to do, big picture through the futures, is to say, you know what, we can't handle all those bushels right now. We will pay you more to physically deliver it down the road, so that's where we'll see our biggest amount of carry that physically comes into the market. Now you contrast that ultimately with another time, so let's say we get into the first part of the year and ultimately there's not a lot of baby bushels coming to market or maybe the futures prices really went up so bushels are flowing more freely, then that's going to be a time where you're going to have less carry in the market or ultimately a point in which that difference between those individual months is is smaller than what it would normally be. So the other thing about that, Chad, is that we talk about it, is that normally when you have your best futures price, normally isn't the time when you have the biggest difference out to those next deferred months or that's also a point where you don't have the most carry so those usually work inverted of each other.
0: We previewed it a few minutes ago the why behind seasonality in the grain markets now let's expand on that because the why can be based on a few different factors.
1: It's really based on that there's, there's normal cropping cycles and patterns that happen. And normally, if there's no disruptions in either the cycle or ultimately, Uh, to focus on where the crop is at the development stage, or how the crop is developing, and on the weather, if there's no changes there, then you'd expect that pattern to be very similar from year to year. However, there are exceptions. There's when you have problems, when the crop isn't developing because it's either too dry, or something's happening, or, so far if you notice, what we've talked about is mostly all about supply. There are times when ultimately you could have a, a demand shift or a demand shock come into market. It doesn't happen very often, but that also could throw off your normal seasonal pattern.
0: Well, and and you just think of, for an example, I can think of China, right? China is a huge buyer of grains. If they get active in the market and all of a sudden want to buy grain now, they have the market power that could influence futures and carry at the same time, right? You're, You're exactly right. That would be a great example of
1: how that could work.
0: So what we've talked about with futures and carry so far seems to go kind of on the calendar year, you know, within a or at least a, a production cycle. But as you've examined the markets, especially over time, over years, has the seasonality of the markets
1: changed over time? That's that's a great question, Chad, and, and let's break it apart this way. Let's look at the, the corn crop and then the soybean crop. As we dig into the corn crop, I'd say the seasonality has actually stayed actually pretty consistent, even though we have seen other parts of the world start producing more. And And the reason it's probably stayed pretty consistent is the fact that let's take uh, The safrina corn crop, for instance, that's one that gets a lot of attention in Brazil. Well, honestly, that crop is kind of growing and developing about the same time as what our crop is here in the U.S. It's just a little bit later, but but not too much. So that hasn't messed with our seasonality. But where we have seen a big difference is on soybeans. And the reason that we've seen it on soybeans is that ultimately because we're seeing more production come out of Brazil, more production out of South America overall because of Brazil and Argentine production, what ends up happening is that we're really kind of getting a weather cycle or weather patterns that happens instead of kind of on a a yearly or 12-month. It's almost every six months because that's really how our production cycle is offset so ultimately when we're harvesting they're just getting ready to plant. And ultimately, as we're coming into our planting, they're getting ready to harvest. So what that means is later in our year, when we normally in the past, when we're talking November, December, January, February, normally those wouldn't have been great times for the soybean market. Now they can be a time where the market can rally, or it can go much lower. But the main reason for that isn't much to do with the U.S. situation. It's because of what's going on in the weather and the cropping cycle in South America. So for us as a grain marketer here in uh, you know in the middle
0: part of America we get a second opportunity to ride that seasonality and
1: make decisions based on it huh You're exactly right that's what has happened in the soybean side
0: Are there trends do you think that appear consistently with seasonality and I think we there is a difference between corn and soybeans so starting on beans are there
1: trends that consistently show up, do you think? Yeah, I'd say there is, and and normally what we'd say, and this would be the case for both corn and beans, but the starting point normally starts in that February or March March timeframe when you're gonna see the markets you know, seeing some type of price increase. And that could be because you've had weather problems in South America and that's carrying over to us. But normally it's because there's concerns about either acres in the U.S. or there's concerns about what the weather is going to be like as we're coming into our growing season. So then with the soybeans, that holds on until we Get the crop planted into April, May, see what the crop is getting off to. But what ends up happening, though, we have to remember that soybean plant really needs moisture out there in August. So you could have that market roll over, go down lower in through your later part of June into July, only then to rebound back in August if you have weather problems. Now, if there isn't any weather problems, then what's going to happen instead of the market rebounding up into August, then you're going to go ahead and drift lower as you come into harvest because of just like we talked about on the corn side, we physically have the market knows more about what the production is. But then... All of a sudden, we see problems happening in South America, and then that's where we could see that market start working higher in November, December, January, or February if there are some cropping problems, weather problems in South America. Yep, and so we know that corn grows differently. So what are the seasonal trends that tend to develop with the corn crop, would you say? Yeah, normally on the corn crop, it's going to start the same time as what we have on the soybeans. Generally, it'll get started in late February into March, as far as when we see our higher prices happen. That will usually carry on into the first few days of June. If there are some weather problems at that time, it could all get out into July. But normally, if we've got good weather conditions and the reason it gets out into July is because of the prospect of pollination and how it looks like that's going to develop. If conditions are really good, the market is going to gradually start declining and work its way into lower prices going into harvest. However, what we know is there are counter seasonal trends and those happen when ultimately that weather doesn't allow us to finish those crops for corn and beans off normal and then instead of those markets rolling over, they'd actually jump back higher.
0: So uh, for all of the reasons that you've kind of laid out, it is something that we have to keep tabs on. We have we can't just look at it once or twice a year. We kind of have to follow along with this and see what it's doing
1: compared to uh, what it's done in the past, Tom. Yeah, we really do, because if we would sit back and look at we'd say, okay, how often do these trends hold? So just, let's just put some numbers on it. From a seasonal tendency standpoint, what we generally say, the markets will probably follow this pattern if we took over a 30-year period about 80% of the time. So basically about what that's saying then really, Chad, is about 20% of the time we're going to have some weather problems that do come into play that ultimately end up causing the pattern not to be in a seasonal uh, aspect. So as a result of that, what we'd say is that you want to be aware of the seasonals, okay? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't and shouldn't be the only way where you make your decision on setting the futures price or on what you're doing with the carry. It seems
0: like seasonalities are almost a sure thing. But you just said, don't rely solely on the seasonals. What else should we be looking at in order to price our grain?
1: Yeah, so digging into that a little deeper, Chad, what we would say is that we want to respect the seasonality of the market, the fact that there should be a pattern because what could happen, I'll give you some real life examples just to back up what that when it doesn't always happen that way. Um, if we go through 2010, 11, 12, and 13 you know those those were years in there where we had weather problems that came in. 2012 was a little bit of an exception in there because it still did give us a very good chance to set some prices. But the other ones actually encouraged it where you would have actually had a counter-seasonal trend. So you could have a number of years that all stack up on top of each other. And that's where ultimately, if you really think about it, there's other things that need to come into deciding when to sell and, and what does that what what are those other things. So the seasonality is respected. We come in we gotta use the technicals of the market. We gotta let the charts tell us ultimately what's going on and develop some triggers off of that. We also want to understand what is the supply and demand, and and we always talk about this, Chad, we always want to talk about what's that ending stocks divided by total demand, what's that stocks-to-use ratio, And, and what does that say about where we think prices should go or the price range of where they should be. Now, obviously, at the foundation of all this, we got to understand our break-evens, but that, that wouldn't necessarily be the only reason that we would physically decide to sell or not.
0: So for the portion of our, of our marketing plan where we are going to respect and utilize the seasonals, what are ways that we can take advantage of the seasonals, do you think?
1: Yeah, I would say from taking advantage of the seasonals is that during that time frame, and we'll take corn, for instance, from March through, say, like June, that's a time in there where you want to say, okay, I'm going to take this window of time. I'm going to set my triggers up to help me get sales made during this window. When I make these sales, though, what I'm going to focus on here is I'm going to focus on getting the futures price set. Okay, I'm going to get that price set, and I'm going to physically do that with a type of contract that would physically just get the futures price set, not focusing on setting basis, not focusing on, at that that time, getting the carry set. So, So I would be using, in the cash market, a hedge to arrive. Or over there, if I was willing to step into the futures market, I would be using straight futures. Or if I wasn't comfortable using straight futures, I may be stepping in and buying a put just to get me a floor underneath that market.
0: Well, since we know that seasonalities happen a couple of times a year now, like you say, kind of two cycles, six months each, therefore it's more than just a growing season, how do grain bins play a part in managing seasonality
1: to our advantage? The grain bins are a great tool, but here's what I'd say. They're a great tool or they're a big enemy, and let me lay it out this way, Chad. If you were coming to me and you're saying, okay, I'm considering putting up some grain bins, and I'm going to put them up because I want to delay my marketing decision. I want to physically use those bins. I'm going to fill them up and at harvest time, and then I'll decide when to sell. I'd say, Chad, please don't put those bins up, don't buy them, okay? But if you're willing to use pre-harvest sales and a dynamic marketing plan, I would say put those grain bins up, utilize the proven strategies that the commercial grain traders, the grain merchandisers use. And so what that looks like then is that we're separating all the individual components of that cash price. We're separating our decision on the futures, we're separating our decision on basis, and we're separating our decision on carry. So here's an example how you'd get the most out of that bin. Let's say it's early in the year, let's say it's March, and we're getting ready to plant the crop and and the market's had a good move, and so we set our futures price, okay? And then we're saying, but as we evaluate carry and basis, we're saying we don't think each of those are at the levels we want yet. So we'd have either sold futures or done a hedge to arrive, we'd then get to harvest and because of the seasonality, we'd expect there to be more carry or we'd expect the deferred futures months to be higher than what our nearby is. We would then move our protection from the December futures contract, on out to whatever month we planned on delivering. Maybe we planned on delivering in May. Maybe we planned on delivering in July. So we'd move our protection out there. What would happen there is our price would increase by the amount of difference between those contracts. If we moved from the December to the July, how much ever difference in price was, we'd now get paid that much more than what we originally set our protection at. Then we'd sit back and wait, and as we got closer to ultimately delivery, we'd be watching that basis level at that time. Once we saw basis narrow up, we'd physically go ahead and get the basis set if we're dealing with a hedge to arrive, and then we would have our cash price. And what we would have done in that example is we would have physically used storage to maximize that amount of revenue that we're getting from those three different legs that come together to bring us that cash price.
0: Yeah, because like you said, this is a dynamic marketing plan. There are going to be years that your bins are full all the way till June and July next year. I bet there are times when your bins are going to be empty in January. I bet there are times that you might not put the grain in the bin at harvest. So don't build the bin just to fill it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and there gets to be those reasons, you know, in regard to harvest ease and, and spreading out workload. But yeah, ultimately, learn how to physically read the market to look at when is the best time to empty those bins.
0: And seasonality does definitely play a part in doing that. Jeff, uh, again, thanks for sitting down with us and uh, shedding the light on the seasonality of the markets. Appreciate
1: it. You bet. Thanks a lot.
0: That's Jeff Peterson, president of Heartland Farm Partners and also an assistant professor of practice in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Thanks again, Jeff, for joining us here today. This is Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer. Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Klocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskit. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.